0: G'day and welcome back to another episode of the humans of agriculture podcast i'm your host as always ollie laleigh and thank you so much for joining us this week this episode was recorded on wadawurrung country down in geelong in southwest victoria and it's part of our women in agriculture month if you haven't heard we are actually hosting an event in partnership with nutrient ag solutions in melbourne it's going to be a live podcast recording on the 29th of march with three absolutely incredible women who are all super passionate about ag. And guess what? Well, it's free to attend. So if you're around the area, it's gonna kick off at five, finish up at about seven, come on down. All the details are on our website. Now, my next guest is Sally Jones. She's one of Gippsland's finest humans that exist. She grew up on a property near Lakes Entrance, then got the internal call to try out city life. It was when her father passed away from suicide in 2016 that Sally returned to the farm. And of course, that's where the story of Gippsland Jersey began. Sally is incredibly open, she's honest, and we can't wait for you to hear more about her story, the passion she's got for the dairy industry, and her little thriving business called Gippsland in Jersey. In this episode, we do cover themes of suicide and mental health, there are links to Lifeline, and if this conversation sparks anything within you, please know that there are helplines out there, so either reach out to Lifeline. This is a conversation starter. All those details are in our show notes. Let's jump into it. I think you probably shared your story enough, Sally.
1: Yeah, Uh, definitely. In a few places. I know, but you know what? I go walking sometimes and I have some space and I think to myself, well, wow, there's another layer there and there's another layer there. And I think with the journey that I have been on, it's been, you know, pretty out there. I, I think a lot of people probably don't, you know, deal with the suicide of their father in the way that I have. I was you know, hit the ground running and just, I guess, wanted to talk about it and wanted to share it. And, you know, there was a lot of other stuff going on with the dairy crisis at the time. It was like a couple of weeks after dad died and there was, you know, other people in our community suiciding over what had happened. So it was pretty full on and it was quite triggering. And I'm, you know, very fortunate to be very, um, you know, loved by the community in terms of I feel the love by the community. So within the Warrigal Farmers Market, you know um, that community, and and how I guess the the coming of all of the pieces after Dad died was I just knew that there had to be some good that came out of this. Like it couldn't be, it couldn't be left like a negative thing. And I I think not talking about something sometimes is like the elephant in the room. So there's no shame in my Dad's death, and I on you know day two. Of um of him dying, I remember talking to someone. Um, he was like a pastor of a church, and he just came up to me and he said, "Sally, you know, your dad's um, death was an illness. It's, it's not. It's not something to be ashamed of." And it like that released me, and I was like, "Oh, great! You know, I can, I can move on and and really get into it." And you know, Dad was such a pioneer in the dairy industry, um, and I'm so grateful for him in terms of paving the way for what we've been able to create.
0: What do you reckon has been? Obviously, that is incredibly challenging for you, but you've also then got Gippsland, Jersey, and your business up and going. What What would you say has been, if there is one one moment or time in your life that has been most, I guess, forming for you and a driver?
1: Yeah, so dad's death was definitely the biggest life-defining moment, I think, for me, just because you'd never expect that to happen to you. You hear about it, you know, it's always someone else's story. Um, so when that happened, that was absolutely huge and and certainly rocked my boat. Um, you know, obviously there's, I've got three kids and the birth of each child is life-defining as well. All of those milestones, I guess, that um, I've been lucky to have. But I think in terms of experiencing the grief and the tragedy and whatever those emotions, I think, can't you know can't be um, understood until you have that experience for yourself, and the empathy and all of those things. Like I see my dad's death, you know, I'm I'm actually I'm not. It's going to sound funny, but I'm not um, thankful, but I'm grateful of the experiences of going through that process. And I believe that, um, creating Gippsland Jersey and, and funneling that energy into creating something positive, um, has been so healing for me. And I do feel, um, yeah, it's probably saved me thousands of dollars in therapy, um, with just having the freedom to, yeah, just knowing my why, um, and knowing that Um, You know, I think in dairy especially, the industry has always been about price-taking and dairy farming is always, you know, I think down the bottom of the rung. Um, They probably work the hardest and get paid the the least. But um, so I think my passion and my desire in terms of wanting to create change within dairy probably comes from my dad well, it does come from my dad and being surrounded by that because when I was three years old, he decided that he would value add to the milk that he was producing on our dairy farm in Lakes Entrance. And um, that, you know, has had such a ripple effect within my whole entire life and all consuming. Um, but it's been very eye-opening. So dad was all about, you know, um, you know, I, I, as a dairy farmer, want to be paid a fair price for my milk and that's one of the key pillars of Gippsland Jersey.
0: One other question before we, I'm super keen to jump into Gippsland Jersey and chat to everything about that. When when you've had your, your bad days and I guess where maybe in the moments after your old man passed away, like how do you actually get yourself mm. back on track and, and deal with it or maybe in hindsight didn't deal with it?
1: Oh, I still remember the, the moment in time when I found out that he had died. Um, so uh, it was pretty full. Um, he went missing and was psychotic over a three-year period, um, but was so out of his character because for all of the time that I've ever known, my dad he was such a strong pillar. Um, of strength and I knew you know his stance on suicide I knew that you know he just he wasn't he didn't think he couldn't understand it we had a staff member whose son suicided a couple of years previously and I remember having very deep conversations with my dad about that and exploring it and he just still couldn't understand why anyone would ever do that to themselves Anyway, I I remember it was the 22nd of March because it was my little boy Max Michael's birthday and, you know, he was named after my dad. So it was like 7 o'clock in the morning and we had so many SES and police and, like, it was dog squad and helicopters and all of those things. It was very full on and um, they'd sort of, called off the search the night before because it had started raining and they were um, coming back and starting sort of at daylight and where I was standing, which was near the factory, and there was divers going to the dam and they radioed through to say they'd found him. And I was like, oh, you know, um, he must have fallen down a a wombat hole or something like that because that's all night we kept thinking, no, he wouldn't you know there's this he's had an accident or something's happened on the farm but um no no when it came back it was like no he's stuck in a tree um and I just remember that absolutely like it just takes your breath away and there's something that happens in your stomach and then you forget what happens after that like it, it I don't know I can't really recall um my emotions because clearly I'd never experienced that before. And it was just devastation to the epitome. And gather your thoughts, I I I was like, I can't believe this has happened. Um take me to the place, you know. (laughs) And um the police were like, oh, you know, no, we we can't sort of do that and whatnot. And anyway, a few hours after um we you know, yeah, did go to the place and and it was just like, oh, I, you know, it's king but it was just like I, that whole day just being wiped out. Um, just
0: lost your Sally. You know,
1: all of us four kids spoke as well at the funeral. Um <sighs> um yeah. and then yeah I was so lucky to have like an amazing group of women that surrounded me and they cooked meals and they did my washing and took my kids and I just remember like lying in bed like just quite devastated about the whole entire thing and not being motivated um and then you know life goes on um you know life goes on and um so I remember, you know, just getting on with life. I'm not sure. And then it, maybe it was like a few weeks after that, there was the Farm World, um, it was the show, and my friend Steve Ronald, who's a dairy farmer, he was at, at the event and he was saying, um, hey, I want a value add to my um, milk. And he sort of had a conversation around that. Um And then it was like maybe a week after that we were having coffees and and whatnot, and then, yeah, three months later we had milk in a bottle.
0: And the rest has been history.
1: Uh (laughs) Yep, the rest is like, right, the little project that I guess I went into to heal myself and to channel that grief into has well and truly been healed, and now I'm left with, you know, this thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've created, you know, we, it's been amazing. That like, that journey has been amazing, and um, it's now it'll be seven years in September, twenty twenty three since we created Gippsland Jersey, and um, you know we're on the we're on the treadmill now. Um, you can't get
0: off. Yeah, or well, the beast which is Gippsland Jersey, but I want to ask a question. This influence of agriculture you you mentioned before was it at three years old your dad started to value like what what is your earliest memory around ag that I guess you you go back to that drives your wire today
1: good question because I mean I well just growing up and I think it is such a unique special thing to grow up on a farm and in particularly a dairy farm because it is so full on it, it it never stops and my memory is just being in the milking shed with my pop or my dad or whoever. Like it was, our, you know, it was all about family and we all knew how to work hard. And I certainly had my favourite cow named Lucy and I loved milking her. And I don't know. It's just something about being able to create. Like you look after the animals and then they give you this milk and then, it goes into the and then it goes into the factory and then we create this beautiful ice cream and then w- I would literally serve it at the ice cream parlour. Action for me. It was so, it's so unique um, to have those extra steps in the process of being a primary producer and very unique and um, the satisfaction of, you know, the whole entire process um, seeing it all come together with the end result and then getting that immediate feedback from the consumer and people, like, talking about the ice cream that was made on the farm. Like, it was a very unique situation. And I just, the freedom you have growing up on a farm, well, I didn't actually go to school until grade six either. So that was maybe another big thing that was just, it was just so much freedom. Um,
0: what were you, what were you doing?
1: Good point, Ollie. Mum, mum, mum employed a mum employed a tutor for us, but I was able to manage uh, her out of the role of school teaching and just told her that you know there was more important things to do. So I don't know. I think she actually did the schoolwork and we sent it off. Like we were, in, were enrolled for rural correspondence. We did you know qualify for that, but. It was a bit of a rude shock when you got to um got to school in grade six and it was like oh times tables haven't learned that not a very good spell." <laughs> all right yeah so it's been you know it's been a challenge but I feel like it's been you know um that opportunity to not have maybe a formal education in terms of you know being told how to think um maybe my brain has been too free reign which I know it's frustrating for people around me sometimes because it's like, can she just shut up? Can she just have some structure about things? But um yeah. I don't know if that's
0: just the the non-schooling part, because I think that I've probably got a lot of those similarities. So maybe I was just I was present at school physically, but maybe not mentally. Yes. So we're probably at the same place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's running through my head here is where you are in Gippsland isn't that remote or, or anything, is it?
1: No, it's not. It's not like we're on the Outback. Hang on two seconds. So I've got a <laughs> milk delivery just rocking up. Hang on two seconds. Sorry, Ollie. Yeah, you're right. Hello. How are you? Do you mind popping the milk in? The- <sighs> Sorry, Ollie.
0: No, you're right. I mean, this is actually awesome. <laughs> oh. I can safely say that's the first time I've ever recorded a podcast or done some content where we've been interrupted by the milk delivery. so where you are grew up in and around lakes entrance it wasn't actually school of the air wasn't necessary like how far were you actually from town and from the closest school
1: um so from the house to the beach hitting the water is four kilometers
0: (laughs) that's pretty cool
1: Mm, yeah it's beautiful place like we had the best of both worlds um of you know when you're on the farm you could be in the middle of nowhere but yeah literally it's 4Ks and, and you know, you're there. You're in the water. um a super special location. But in saying that, um, you know, it's still four hours east of Melbourne.
0: Yeah. And you're a very bubbly and outgoing person. So I'm presuming, although you didn't go to school until year six, which is still blowing my mind, um, you did have a bit of a social life and hung out with other kids.
1: Yeah, well, on the farm, like, as I said, we had this big family situation. So my cousins and my grandparents and we're like sort of two sets of cousins, grandparents, we were all living. We had obviously some staff. Um, we had the shop. So we're working like, you know, I started working when I was apparently four years old wiping tables and getting tips from customers. So um, I guess, yeah, work had started very early and Um, so I don't think there was any issues with being socially engaged. Played sport, um, did all that sort of stuff, but, yeah, just didn't do the school
0: part. Sounds pretty Mm. good. So then with this childhood and growing up on the farm, you actually went away from agriculture and away from the Gippsland area, so what was driving that for you?
1: Yeah, so then by the time I'd hit um, year 12, I thought, well, I'm done with Gippsland and with the dairy because I think when you do grow up in a...
0: Now, I do apologise for this bit, but Sally actually dropped off not long after that milk tank had turned up and we had to push the rest of the recording through to the next day. So we tried to pick up where we left off, but bear with us as we jump back into it. Well, do we... Do we just follow where, on from where we started yesterday? Well, yeah, I think we should we because can. then we'll work out if this thing's going to work or not. Or if as soon as we start talking about you leaving Gippsland, it starts to break up, we'll be like, okay, we'll just avoid that um, that time. <laughs> um, uh, but I think, yeah, what, what was interesting, like, oh, and what I wanted to know is obviously Gippsland had played such a huge part in your life up until a point. So what was the reasons behind, I guess, turning your back on it a little bit if we can use those words
1: yeah I think I've always been really proud about growing up in Gippsland I don't think I was ever you know running away as such but I think just from um it was an opportunity to 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 get out of Gippsland and and experience something else um because often when we do grow up in rural communities it's very comfortable I think so being a you know a nobody in a big city um you have to figure out who you are and you know yeah who what makes Sally Jones or what makes you know um anybody that has um has come so you need to pave your own way so it was cool I um basically just said yes to heaps of things and got involved and met a stack of people um and yeah through uni I got a position at a like one of Melbourne's best boutique PR agencies that was looking after the Grand Prix and Foster's and Berry Juice and all those things and I realized how the media played a role in telling brand stories and I was only there probably 18 months or whatnot and there was an incredible um, group of women that were working in the agency that really took me under their wing and I'll be forever grateful because I'm still friends with these girls, and they're so encouraging. And when the time came for me to say, "Look, I'm heading off back to Gippsland," they've certainly you know cheering me on on the sides from Melbourne and have provided some opportunities and whatnot over the years. Um, yeah,
0: a little bit of PR in in the early days,
1: <laughs> yeah. well, I think you know that is the problem with people in 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 rural areas um. You, you, they 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 have amazing stories to tell but there's no platform or there hasn't been up until I guess social media and whatnot mm. and podcasts and things like that have come along but they haven't told their stories and or well, they don't think they're special um so I think that was probably my experience I'm like wow people in the city like after living there I'm like they actually want to know what's happening on a farm level um, and meet the people that you know, are making their food exactly what your podcast is on about. You know, humans of agriculture. Who are the people? Who are the yeah.
0: <laughs> And I wish we could do so much more. I think yeah, it is funny, and it's definitely something that like I've learned um, through all of this. And it's, I think you can hear from CEOs and industry leaders, and and they absolutely have their time and their place. But in terms of the content, which does the best for us, is what I what I like to call like the extraordinary because like Mm. to so many people in like our communities and circles and things, people just view themselves as ordinary, but then you start chatting to it and to others, they're like, Oh my God, this person is extraordinary. Like, how is that person, a mum, a personal trainer, a distance education teacher, a farmer, like Mm. how on earth is there enough hours in the day for that person to do what they do? And even in your Mm. camp as well, I think like startup founder and, Mental health advocate, going into a leadership program. I was going to say, still a mum, always a mum. Like, yeah, it's um, insane just how much people like yourself can fit in.
1: Yeah, sometimes there's not a lot of sleep, right? So, um, it's always it's it's look, it's a it's a juggle, and it's it is what it is. I, yeah.
0: Just take it as it comes.
1: I think, but then when you sort of start planning, and this is probably my issue, is that when you think, right, oh, I've got this and this and this coming up, and then I have this absolute freeze situation where I, I can't plan and I can't organize. Like today, I've just sent out a message to the, you know, the my three or four staff saying, "Hey guys, I need you all on the weekend. Who's available?" Like last minute queen, I am just until it gets to the critical time, then I'm like action, you know, that's I'm at my best at the last minute. <laughs>
0: the big, Even Cool under pressure as well.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Like I am, <laughs> I am at my best when, when um, the pressure's on and it's last minute. So.
0: So do you get um, to after a morning like today and you're running around and somehow you always find a way Are you like next time or next week, I'm going to be more organized or have you just given up on that?
1: I have so much desire, and I think, you know, my goal for this year is to like, okay, let's just do a little bit of personal development on how to time manage. But mm-hmm. anyway, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but you know, I just, I, I think you have to be able to multitask. So this morning, you know, you have to pr- make sure that I, the spaghetti bolognese is in the, it's in the pot. It's done. It's like, took me five minutes. Dinner's done. I know that's sorted. I'm doing school lunches. I'm on the phone taking a few, you know, orders for milk or whatever. Um, yeah, just get it done. so the the ability of um, I think you know now we we have the earpods and the the mobile phone, and we can be anywhere and still working is is pretty it's cool, but it's intense. and um and I think when I think about myself um, and self-care and all of the things that I sort of bang on about and keeping yourself mentally healthy, I have to sort of check in and go, oh, am i okay you know sometimes i think um our minds that like we don't get any downtime it's just race 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 to the next thing and mm. sometimes i feel like we live in a world where um you can never really fully be reflective or appreciative or thankful for what's just happened because you're on to the next thing already it's such a high pace um so that's also another goal is to try and you know, step back and and to journey, go back to journaling because I used to love it when I had a bit more time and I used to do some journaling, do my exercise, eat really cleanly. And then you feel like if you got those things sorted, um, that's the sort of the basics of keeping yourself healthy, I think.
0: Mm. Well, you're going to be straight ahead if you're already journaling. I was, on that, it's so funny. One of my goals this year, and I'll try and keep them pretty basic every year, but was around like um, to relish the moments and the opportunities that we're creating. Because I think to your point there, like, it's so quickly to forget of, and this was I think, where I have caught myself in a slump and um, either people around me or family or friends are like, Ollie, just look at, like, what has actually happened, like, through Humans of Agriculture so far and stop being so just like, oh, I've got to get to, this is happening in June or July or August or whatever it might be. Um, I'm interested, I was just jumping back. A slight question you the the chaos side of things mm. how, so I'm guessing you're similar to me in terms of you're really good at managing yourself and in terms of the tasks and things that you need to do how have you done that when in your growing team
1: mm, I'm, I, I'm first to admit I am not a good I consider myself a leader but I don't really consider myself a good leader of people I'm not everybody's cup of tea like i don't I'm not able to provide what I feel like people sometimes need of a of a of a leader so um I must admit you know I think putting it's about selecting the right people around you that you know can work with you um <laughs> they get that are pretty self managed themselves because i <laughs> i um Oh, I'm, I'm flat out to disorganize myself, you know, not anybody else. So um, what we've done though in the last couple of years is put some structure within our business. So putting like the CRM, so everything and all of our customers are sort of out of my head. They're on, you know, as and you, a business that, you know, we have 400 customers or whatever, like they can't all live in my head. I can't have the key relationship with all of them. It has to be shared around. So putting in that, putting in, um, you know, new telephone systems, like all of these things just um, take the load off for me. So yeah, we're always, always progressing and always um, moving forward, which I think that, and then enables you to, to manage your staff in a way that's, um you know, you don't have to watch, like we live in a day and age where look, people work remotely, don't they? Like it's not, It's not old school, back in the office, have meetings and whatnot. But um, I must admit that this whole face-to-face is so much more effective than just, you know, we're always texting or messaging or whatever. It's just Hmm. a bit rubbish.
0: I'm, I'm really curious, how have you gone with letting go of that? 400 customers is insane, but because Gippsland Jersey is so much Sally Jones of your blood, sweat, tears everything else that's gone into creating that like how have you gone with actually being okay with other people taking the lead on that and not protecting it and squeezing it to death
1: yeah oh look I'm all for just like take it off me take it off me um yeah it's it's been look it's been a nice little journey because it's not it's not just a rude awakening um I'm I'm first to admit I i you know, we hear from customers or chefs or whatever that ring and say, oh, we actually use your product. And and I do have to get over myself and think, well, I, I, I used to really pride myself on knowing all about who they were and having those. And now I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I, I just can't um, be across at all. But, yeah, like I I I do recognise that the brand has probably been a little bit built on me and my voice and, and the things like that. And it's not probably sustainable going into the future um, because if you want to scale, you, you just, it can't be all pinged, you know, on, on me sort of thing. And I don't want it to be either. And so often because I have put myself out there and probably in the early days, you know, it's been, I look at back at things I've written or posted or said or whatever, I'm thinking, wow, like, oh <laughs> did I really say that? Um yeah. and a little bit more, yeah, just probably a little bit more protective of of that sort of stuff. Not clothes, because that's not who I am, but just um, you know, also other other competitors within the space. Like I know that they're watching. Um and Yeah, but I guess what you can't beat in this day and age is just being authentic and showing up and a lot of big brands that want to pretend that they are small boutique, you know, farmer brands and put farmer faces on milk bottles and things like that, consumers see through it and the consumers are smart these days. And, um, you know, for example, Coles, we, we supply Coles and Woolies and we met with them and you know there's no secret that they buy direct from farmers now I think they have 60 60 dairy farms that they go direct to and they pay a very good price um and a lot of farms are, are signing up for it and but I do have a real problem with with the major supermarkets being in control of our food system and having the power you know no longer are they just a shelf for um for brands to stock they they actually control the whole the whole food system now and that's scary for me and i i i i don't believe that's that's good um it's you know we do not want monopolies in our food system
0: and so why is that like for, to you
1: um because they wield too much power so once they get everybody you know involved, signed up for contracts and things like that. Well, you know, people are locked in and, and you can't move. And so I believe we, we need a free, we need a free food um, system. Like we need to be able to, you know, what happens if, um, you know, once again, dairy farmers lock into Coles. Yeah. It's great. Great milk price. What And they have to lock in for three years, but what happens if the price of milk jacks up to, you know, 15, like, who knows? Um, mm. We we don't know, but I think we've gone past that day and age of yeah, really locking into into contracts. We should be able to. Everybody should have the freedom to to um to pay what's what's right. Because you know we look at the milk crisis and what happened there, and then the dairy industry just hasn't had a good, <laughs> it hasn't been a good run. Um, but finally, they are getting paid well, and I am seeing. Um, just in my conversations that everybody's, you know, they're pretty happy. And I think mental health and the finances are pretty um, tightly connected at some t- Sometimes um, I think that, I think it's um, from my research, it's that it's not just my research. It was an academic paper that I read a couple of years ago and it just said, yeah, mental health in um, rural men is, is connected to finances and relationships. So, but um, equal sort of part and mm. um, it's it's interesting
0: it definitely makes sense hey
1: it's nick here sheep farmer and rabo bank regional client council member
0: i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies my job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush,
1: funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au
0: and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Let's chat a little bit about the Gippsland Jersey story because I'm sure there's a huge number of our listeners who actually don't know anything about it, which is exciting. So Gippsland Jersey, you, you chatted about, I guess, the influence. Your old man was a, a value adder from the very early years. And during uni, you used to work at the Warrigal Farmer's Markets. But tell me how and when this idea of Gippsland Jersey came about.
1: Yeah. Oh, it. It. it as I said, I just... Um... I've always loved it. I sort of thought that, that chapter was finished. Um the and the way it came about was that I um I did move to Warrigal and, and started a farmers market up. And it was um, you know, buzzing along, great community. My dad had a mental health um battle for three years and um yeah, tragically, you know, his he ended his own life in 2016. Um, which was absolutely tragic. And then it was three, about oh, a couple of weeks after that, the dairy crisis happened. And through Wogel Farmers Market and the social media pages, people within our local community were asking what milk should they buy to actually support the dairy industry, and they wanted to support the local ones. And, you know, the, you, there was no answers because there's the supermarkets are actually stocked full of um internationally owned brands yes it's local potentially local milk that's going into those bottles but um there's no economic value necessarily of the, the of a of the profit staying in australia um so steve ronalds who's a dairy farmer in Jindavik. Um, he, you know, lost out in the dairy crisis and we sort of came together and had a couple of coffees and we decided that we'd start a milk brand. He really wanted to value add to his milk. He was questioning why he would stay in the industry. And I think because I was so full of grief, I wanted to channel that into creating something good because my dad was such a pioneer in the space and I probably didn't know where else to put myself. So we created a brand. It has three pillars. One that farmers have to pay to fair price. Like what happened in the dairy crisis was just so wrong. Um, so that social justice, you know, <laughs> coming out, um, which is certainly a family trait, I think. And um, then the second pillar is around creating social change in rural mental health. And the third pillar is kindness, which is a really unique, I guess, pillar um, to put into a brand um and set of values, but it's really important to both Steve and I, because it costs nothing and it's the way we choose to conduct our business. Um, and we also know that when, when, you know, kindness can change the game up and it, and, um, it can set you on a different path and we can all choose how we respond to situations. So it's, um, yeah, we've stuck to those pillars We've now processing our milk back in my, uh, dad's factory that he built back in the eighties. So back on my family farm in Lake's entrance. And we um, process three times a week and we make a whole range of dairy products, obviously um, focusing on that high fat Jersey stuff. So um, cultured butter, which is absolutely delicious. And we can't, we can't make enough. Um, We need to sell more light milk so that we can make more butter, Um, (laughs) but nobody wants to drink light milk these days. Full fat is back. Is and, it? um, oh, yeah, it's back. We can't we can hardly give light milk away, you know,
0: <laughs> really? It's
1: just, yeah, it's interesting. Like, um things going trends, I believe. and um, yeah, the the light milk in Australia has declined, um, so there we go. And then we, you know, we have cultured sour cream and buttermilk, and um, we've had play around with some some other products that are hopefully going to come to market soon. But yeah, it's the Jersey milk, I think deserves its own category in Australia. And we're about wanting to, I guess, educate the consumer around how good Jersey milk is, you know, it's higher in protein, it's it's higher in fat, it, the taste itself, you know, the, the feedback we get is that it tastes like milk used to taste. And people, I think, um, have had maybe experiences of drinking milk out of vats and whatnot of growing up. And they absolutely love it. Um, our packaging is super premium and, um, it's, it's metallic, um, you know, gold and, and, um, it certainly stands out, I think on the, on the supermarket shelves as premium product and it is a premium price. And, um, you know, the consumers are happy to pay that little bit extra knowing, um, that the milk that they are getting, they know who the owners are, that it's Australian owned, that we we do everything in Gippsland. We even buy our cardboard boxes here. So we choose yeah, to right. try and support local as much as we can. And I think, you know, when you go, oh, yes, yeah, support local, and that get, that word gets thrown around a lot. But that $1 that's spent in a rural community gets turned over nine times and it is it is yeah if we want strong rural economies then let's spend our money locally
0: where this is interesting where like how, where have you had to compromise or sacrifice at different times or maybe where has what have been the challenges that have come up because of i guess your philosophy around supporting local
1: ah uh, look so we can't obviously buy plastic bottles in Gippsland, but we we um, get them just in Melbourne and and um, bring them down. But yeah, I mean, look, we use a little local family owned milk um, tanker company. We could probably get it much cheaper by going through a big, you know, one of those bigger ones, but we've um, we've chosen to to do that. Um, even the location of our factory is is not great because we're hauling the milk down and we're spending probably half a million dollars on milk tankers um, to be processing that. So that's our, you know, that's our issue that we have to absorb. And and I guess that is, you know, the, I guess we're choosing to um, to do it a little bit of a hard way and, and the price of our milk is a bit more expensive. Um, but look, yeah, everything we do is like, well, is it Australian made let's let's start there and then if we can get it locally we'll choose local but there is little bits of extra costs
0: involved for sure yeah you you were involved in Rocket Cedar and I reckon that's probably where I first came across you Mm. God, that was many moons ago wasn't it and Mm. when you were building Gippsland Jersey and went into the Rocket Cedar accelerator program what did the business kind of look like and then how has it picked up over the years
1: yeah, anyone that's starting a business, I would highly recommend getting involved in some sort of accelerator program or business. You know, <laughs> um, you know, we involved in Rocket Cedar at the start, so um, we trekked down to Melbourne every week and and went to school, I guess. And we just lunch and all. Of, I guess. Um, hey.
0: Packed lunch and all.
1: Yeah, we yeah we did. We we packed our <laughs> lunch, caught the train down, and. It was, um, the interesting thing was being surrounded by a cohort of other people all in the same boat that were all starting out and we got, I guess it was, um, just as such an opportunity to have, um, some structures put in place or made us think about certain things that we may not have. And, um, the one big thing that we learned at Rocket Cedar was know your why. when we knew our why, but we didn't probably know how to present it. and we had to pitch every single week and keep telling our story over and over again of who you are and and why people should basically buy from you. And I found it really, you know, just oh, are we doing this again for <laughs> sort of thing, but it that repetitive thing I think has certainly stood us in good steed um and probably just opened doors and gave given us opportunities from day one um the network is everything i think so um you know we're pretty insular down here in gippsland and then once you get to melbourne things really you're you know it's the bigger fish tank down there so it was an amazing opportunity
0: because i remember seeing was it a caravan that you started give san jesse oh. out of with milkshakes and things
1: yeah. 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 So the first thing we did in Gippsland Jersey, when we started was we got an old caravan and we gutted it and we put in some milkshake makers and we hit the road and we hit events just to fly the flag. Cause we didn't have any money when we started. And in fact, we didn't spend a dollar on marketing or advertising probably until about two years ago, simply mm-hmm. because we didn't have money and that caravan uh, and the amount of milkshakes that we've out of it has been awesome and it's just a great opportunity. And I guess the brand, you know, it's a moving billboard. People see it and people get to try the product and they love it.
0: And on the brand page, because I, I find that really interesting that you didn't spend any money on marketing in well, over what the first five or six years. So yep. um there was a there's a, I'm guessing lots of thought that went into the brand, the denim jackets, the everything that sits in that.
1: Yeah, I think we um, yeah, just p- sort of tried to get as much branding on things as we could and the use of social media was our absolute number one tool and probably the other thing that we did do was we crowdfunded to get the- my dad's milk factory opening and right. we had no idea that that would cause um, a campaign, a promotional campaign. We actually just needed the funds to actually get the, the fact that so we raised one hundred and ten thousand dollars in three weeks by asking people to pre-purchase bottles of milk, and it was overwhelming and so humbling. And um, but in in return, like the awareness of our brand, because it got shared, it went quite viral, and we got a little bit of media and stuff about it. And I think that stepping stone indirectly had quite a quite a big impact, and it was it it was out of necessity. It wasn't planned and going, Oh, great. You know, if we do this, we're going to get, you know, attention or or whatever. Like it wasn't about that, but incidentally that's what did happen because I, we had no idea what even crowdfunding was. It was just, uh was through rocket Cedar. I think that maybe the concept got suggested to us and we were like, oh, all right, we'll just sign up to this platform and banged a video up and, um, I remember staying up like Steve and I were up like on the phone to each other till midnight going I think we can load this up like you know how do we do this and then by the next morning it was just like flying it was like oh look at it go you know and the and the the total kept going up and up and up and that money like we used every single cent of it to spaghetti um strap a milk processing plant that then enabled us to keep going with our business which was Incredible.
0: Did everyone get their milk in the end or were some people happy to buy like a $10 bottle of milk and go, you know what, I've just done something good?
1: Uh, yeah. So one of the cafes in town, he he put 10 grand of milk down on the line. Like he pre prepaid $10,000.
0: What a legend.
1: Um, Absolute legend. So yeah, shout out to Albert and Co in Lake's entrance for that That's Hello, an Albert. amazing gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but honestly, um, not many people decided to claim it back. And so the whole thing, you know, it it, it was just, as I said to you, it was very humbling and, you know, we were just like, thank you very much. Like it was an, an amazing gift to us. And we wouldn't have been able to do it just because at the time we had no credit rating and we had no money to do it. Um, still don't have money, but, um, that's, you know, that's just business. Getting isn't a credit rating. <laughs> well, getting a credit rating and, a, and, a, and a share to ComBank as well, because they have backed us from day one when we were a nobody. And, and, um, we had a really good broker who understood us and backed us. And without that financial piece of the business and having good people, having advice, like our accountant and whatnot, they, they, we consider them part of our team, you know, um, very important
0: it's amazing I think for me as well I've I got put onto an accountant through a friend and I literally would count Nathan as 100% part of our team because I'll call and be like so this is what I'm thinking or like when it came to say um when I got to the state it was September last year and I was like I think I want to hire staff and then a quick phone call with him and then he's put together an excel spreadsheet and everything like but surrounding yourself with people like that game changes
1: yeah 100 aren't aren't their skills just awesome like with the with the excel i'm just you're speaking a different <laughs> language to me but anyway
0: and the half the time i feel like uh, with these people it's literally just having someone to talk to, to me. yeah, <laughs> i love the three pillars you've got around the fair price for your farmers that you guys are working with yeah um the social change around mental health and kindness and jumping into them a little bit more as As you've grown the business and impact and having an impact, I guess, how important is it to be able to build a successful business in order to then be able to do the desired impact? And at times, like, how have you balanced that between wanting to, I guess, do more, but actually going, you know, what, business comes first?
1: mm well, without a successful business, we can't do any of these things. So definitely there has to come you know have to make sure we're being profitable. Um, we've got it, yeah, we had a few com- like um partnerships, so the Lakes Complete Health, I think that's the name. I think that's how I've said it. Maybe not quote me on that. Um, Anyway, so we have had a couple of partnerships with some health agencies that have come on board to help us fund this calendar that we do every year, which tells 12 Gippsland dairy farmers stories. And by the end of next year, we'll have covered 10% of Gippsland dairy farmers, which is cool. And they've all got their own story to share. And some of them have, you know, never put themselves out there before or, you know, had someone come and ask them, questions so it's been an absolute privilege for me and so I think for me it was quite a cathartic process to do the calendar um something that I is my favorite part of Gippsland jersey is that is that calendar and putting it together every year because they you know they open up their homes and their kitchen tables and we sit down and, and we have good chats about the heart stuff and it's the real stuff and oh it's a beautiful thing um and I'm, yeah, I just absolutely love it. And I think for them as well, like I hope that, well, the feedback has been a exactly the process as well. And for them to be seen and heard and to have their photos taken and, and a printed document and there's a video and whatnot that goes with it. Um, it's amazing. Anyway, today, um, you know, one of, one of the calendar participants is Joe Magetto and he... I got in touch with him very straight after he, I guess, had attempted to take his own life. He was carrying around a bullet in his pocket and he wanted to put it through his head because he was done with life. And, um, thankfully, um, he, he didn't do that and he's, you know, lives to tell his tale and, um, boy, is it, it's, it's an, it's an amazing story. And today, um, He's been recognised, well, he's that someone's painted an Archibald Prize painting that's being revealed of him because of his work in, in rural mental health. And wow. he's, yeah, it's massive. And, you know, he says that he's probably saved five people's lives, other farmers' lives by him speaking up about it. So that ripple effect of him sharing his story and then other people knowing that he's a person that I could contact and have a talk to, Um, and that he's been able to then put them in, in contact with getting the right help is, you know, work that a lot of agencies can't do because I think, um, there is, well, there's definitely no magic pill for mental health and, and, you know, solving that, that huge, that huge health issue. But, um, at the end of the day, people need people and, um, It's about, yeah, showing up for them and hearing them and just getting alongside them and being on the journey.
0: Yeah, there absolutely is no magic pill, but, God, you guys are doing an amazing job down there in Gippsland in that big little little, big community.
1: Ollie, there's more that we want to do. So the next stage for us, uh, you know, for Steve and I is that if we can, um, the dream, and I think, probably maybe a little bit more my dream than Steve's dream is that we can create a well farm and a well farm is um, what happens over in the European countries so over in Holland for example apparently there's thousands of these farms and they um, are a place they're a functioning farm and people that are unwell come to these farms and then they're tapped into the right services to get support but they're not like sitting out in a, in a, in a psych ward or a, you know, health retreat, it's, it's more than that, but it's where people are feeling comfortable and they have purpose and they're able to heal themselves and go on that journey. And that's what we wanted for my dad when he wasn't well, Mm. Um, we wanted to send him to place. He was going to get the help and the support to get through and navigate these tricky times, but there is nothing available in Australia um, and you know, we know from my reading and researching that these these wellness farms work in Europe. So why don't we have them in Australia? And we would love to roll out a pilot, you know, of this of of this you know concept.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. I'm gonna have to go and look them up. Another area that you are incredibly passionate about is women in ag, and yeah, your women in Gippsland. I, yeah, what what are, what, are, what have you seen in your time being back involved in the dairy industry and what's what's changing around women in agriculture and the role women play?
1: Yeah, look, I was dumbfounded that to find out that women weren't recognised as farmers until 1992 when I went through the Invisible Farmer Project with the um, Melbourne Museum. And you know, when you Google farmers, you just see male males, males, males everywhere. but um the definition of farmers now has changed thanks to the good work of, you know, some people that have got in there and 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 made sure that women are recognized um for the work that they do. And I think, we have come a long way and women play such an important role in, in agriculture and um, especially in family farms. And they're often the glue that holds everything together because they're the communicator. They're, they're the decision maker. They're the financial controllers that they're just amazing women. And I've certainly got them in my own family. Um, And I just meet the coolest women that are, giving it a go and, you know, shout out to Jen Smith, you know, she's in East Gippsland. She's, she's, she's incredible. Um, She's an incredible human and we need to, um, you know, I think they often are so capable and um, resilient. And I think having a platform for them to, to share their stories such as women in Gippsland and we have this annual event every year on International Women's Day and it's certainly not about you know I'm not a hardcore feminist at all I'm just all about equality in fact I really think men and women play um you know equal roles in 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 whatever they're doing and we've got strengths and weaknesses and I and I think um the ability to appreciate them you know I yeah I I don't know I'm probably going down a rabbit hole. might want. To... <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're totally fine. But
1: it's just about for me, I'm just about the 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 equality. Let's mm. just celebrate for men and women for what they are. and but I do recognize and thank women that have gone out there to bring the equality into the center, because women, in the past, as I said, have not even been recognized as as being a farmer. Um, until 1992, which is really not that long ago, so there's still work to be done, and um, and very grateful that we can, as women, um, be respected and and seen in in this very male dominated industry that agriculture pr- traditionally is.
0: Yeah, oh, I'm interested because you obviously talk a lot about your dad, but you you said that you guys grew up on the farm. Tell me a little mm. bit about. Your mum, and was she a farmer?
1: No, mum. Mum grew up in um the city, and she all she wanted to do was marry a farmer. And she somehow met my dad and <laughs> fell in love with him and moved to Lake Entrance. And yeah, she um has adapted very well to all of that, and very mum's very very capable and amazing. And my nana as well, like she pioneered. You know, her and Pop came to the farm and they cleared the land, and you know. The, living in a Hessian house and dirt floors and dealing with rats and mice, like just amazing. Um, and then, you know, I'm now the third generation essentially within this on the, on our family farm and, you know, it's, they are amazing and capable. And when dad and pop were off, um, on, on the rigs, you know, earning money to supplement the farm, it was Nana and mum that were out milking the cows and pulling calves and all of those things. And I saw all of that growing up. And I think, um, but they never got the recognition or the kudos of what, you know, what dad and pop would do because they are the men and they are the farmers and all that kind of stuff. They're very much, there in the background and yes, that's part of their personality and all that kind of stuff too. But, um, very yeah very capable I actually remember mum's a nurse by trade and I remember her doing a cesarean on a cow because the vet couldn't make it in time and yeah just pulling out all of the the bits of the cow and putting it on a blue big tarp and then you know I think when the I think she pulled it all out and got the calf out but then the time came to be putting the the bits back into the cow I think that's when the vet did come stitch it together but it was just, yeah, it was just cool, you know.
0: Literally, yeah. as only a mother could do too. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, women have special skills and oh, they have so much to offer.
0: I, well, this is a tangent, but I think when people talk of, about farmers having a whole range of skills. It's like mums are the exact same too. They're everything and anything. <laughs>
1: yeah, and everything, you know, I think the heart of family farms happens in the kitchen and often it is the women that are the ones that are you know making the food and that for me i feel like in australia that's that's our that's our community and that's our heart and it's the food that brings them together and true and i think and i'm not trying to be sexist here but um country women just know how to cater and they just know how to do hospitality. Do you agree? Yeah. They just yeah. know how to put a good feed on. And, <laughs> and it just, yeah, it's just, that's what they do. And, and it's such a huge yeah, part
0: of any culture, isn't it? Like the the bonding happens over meals and the stories and everything else. It's, it, is, it is where real connection happens.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's the women that make that happen. So women are the glue of 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 making everything happen and and you know i think for myself as well um in my own home if women are the thermostats they're not the thermometers so how your um how your what you're bringing into your own home or whatever into your own community you've got the ability to everybody gauges or set you know gauges themselves
0: off how you how you're operating in
1: your little world i think
0: Mm. And I hope you give yourself a pat on the back um, with everything that you do as well as oh, the farming.
1: I just love, I love people and I love hospitality. And I think having, yeah, my world is complete when, when you know, I can be just surrounded by people and there's there's no conflict and it's just ticking along and I just, mm. Yeah, I can't articulate that feeling for me, but that's important and I think um Yeah, I'm I mean look, we just learn from our what we're surrounded by, right? So
0: yeah, osmosis.
1: We are. And I just think, you know, I don't want to turn into my nana that you walk through the front door and she's like, you know, offering food and you say I'm right and then she's like demanding and then you like you have to eat the scone <laughs> and then you pack you send off with a packed lunch. You know, I don't want to be that person because I probably have, like, I'm not Italian, <laughs> but there's uh, those little bit of trends of the overfeeding person. So she's Nanza. Yeah, she's she was an absolute classic. You couldn't get out of there. She had that 26 grandchildren and we all came in and she just, she had it nailed.
0: 26 grandchildren.
1: Yeah, yeah. And she loved feeding us all and we loved it.
0: Oh, my God. Mm. Now, Sally, I've got two questions I want to wrap on. One is we ask everyone this question. So if you get the chance to go and chat to year ten students, why would what would you say to them, and why should they consider a career in agriculture?
1: Great question. yeah, I would i i I've got kids that are coming up to being in year ten myself, and I think to them, absolutely explore it. Go out and just try lots of different things, go onto a farm and go milk some cows and go learn how to, build some fences or whatever, and um, keep your keep your options open because, honestly, it's changing. Like my kids go, oh, well, I won't be a farmer because it's too much hard work. Well, there's technology now, right, and there's robots to milk cows and um, it's, it, it's certainly heading down a much more tech savvy um, person's game if you want to do it that way. Um, and I think I I I'm just so excited about it, and I think there is opportunities galore because that's the one industry. If we can keep feeding people, you'll never be out of a job. So if you're involved in that sector, um, it's a very important job, and I feel like sometimes farmers have been seen as the bottom of the class, or you know the bottom of the you're just a farmer or whatever. Farmers are amazing, and you know what do they say in life? You 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 need a you only need a, oh, is it a
0: doctor once a year or something. Yeah, that, you need that a farmer quite, three times a day.
1: <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you're the most reliable. Um But yeah, just just get out there and and have a crack and and explore it and and um don't be lazy. <laughs> hmm. There's too many lazy kids, I think these days. They're not willing to put themselves out there and, and just have a crack. Um, expose yourself to all
0: sorts of things. They're not the Joneses. Joneses are working the milkshake caravan.
1: Oh, my kids I tell you.
0: <laughs> One final question. And this is something I'm just only really starting, but what's a question that you'd like me to ask a future guest at some stage? It can be on absolutely anything.
1: Um why, yeah, here we go. What do you think the price of a two-liter milk bottle is going to be in 10 years time?
0: Ooh. I feel like that could be a bit of street talk. Just go and ask people on the street. Mm-hmm. Can I ask mm-hmm. you? What do you think it'll be?
1: I think it's probably going to be about eight dollars.
0: In ten years' time.
1: Yep. Possibly more. Possibly it might be $10. It's mm. going to be eight to ten dollars for two liters, I reckon. Because the the, the milk pool's shrinking in Australia so Mm. don't
0: know what's this space we'll come back and check in with you in 2033
1: (laughs) let's do that
0: (laughs) now as we said at the start if this episode did trigger anything for you and you do want to chat to someone and get some help please follow the links in our episode notes to Lifeline. Well this is a conversation starter. There are people out there who can help you, who can who you can chat to, and there are plenty of resources available through those two organizations. I think as Sal talked about, she just had the most incredible relationship with her dad and I think it's amazing to see the business that she's building and that real motivation to shift the conversation around mental health in the bush and do it through a business which is not just delivering awesome, healthy dairy options, but actually making some significant change as well. Now, before we sign off, I did mention at the beginning that we do have our event on the 29th of March in Melbourne. If you're around the area, please head along. And we can't wait to see you soon. See ya.